Eagles Entertainment. The journey to the draft is driven by AAA. AAA, roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and the college football playoff is upon us. Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State. We're going to talk about these two huge matchups on Friday and who the players are that you need to know as we go into the weekend. We're going to start things off with Saturday scouting. Ben Fennell and I not only going to go through the matchups in those games, but we've also got an intriguing mock draft to break down. We're going to do a deep dive into the safety position as well to reveal the traits that we value most at that strong safety spot. After that, Mr. Relevant, Emery Hunt this week, is going to join me to further break down the college football playoff players to watch, but also some risers, guys that he's got high hopes for as we enter the pre-draft process. And then we're going to wrap things up with pick six. Ross Tucker and I, we've got our weekly battle and we're looking ahead to the college football playoffs. Some of the other big games here this weekend as well, because it's not just those two games. We've got some big ones on Saturday, uh, obviously on Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, all weekend long, great college football games. How close are Ross and I in our weekly competition? Who do you think pulls out these games? We'll find out at the end of the episode. Before we get there, though, just a quick reminder to jump onto our Apple Podcast page and do us that great favor of leaving us a rating, leaving us a comment, whether it's a mock draft, a question about a player, ideas that you want, segments that you want here as we move into the pre-draft process. The Senior Bowl's right around the corner. The Combine will be right after that. Really appreciate everybody that gives us that little bit of a boost. Jumping on, leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us make the podcast available to more people all around the internet and everywhere around the world. So thanks so much to everybody who has done that. All right, that being said, let's kick things off here. It's time to welcome in Ben Fennel for Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, well, let's get into these big matchups here in the college football playoff, which kicks off Friday, 4 p.m. We've got some big games to talk about. And I guess, actually, pivot real quick. Before we even get there, I think we've got some big announcements here uh, to get to, Ben, because the Senior Bowl added a few more additions uh, to the list. And rather than save these names for Dane uh, on Monday, I figured the two of us can can knock these out. And I want to start off with Mississippi State running back Kylan Hill. Uh, Thoughts on Kylan Hill and his addition to the, the Senior Bowl? Well, I was really glad to see this. This is a guy that could have come out last year running for 1,300 yards and 10 touchdowns in the SEC. Very tough runner. uh, Made some news and headlines in the offseason with his threat to sit out if Mississippi didn't change their flag. Comes in this year. Only plays three games uh, with the new regime and Mike Leach. But you immediately see his ability to catch the football at the backfield, which is a little bit built into the scheme there. In two games, 8 out of 10 against LSU for 155 and caught 15 of 17 for only 79 yards against Kentucky. But the high-volume pass game to the running backs is part of the Mike Leach staple. It was just great to see that he could catch the ball. Only played three games, though, so kind of an interesting year. We haven't seen him for two months. A guy that could have come out last year, he'll come over from uh, the state of Mississippi over to Mobile, Alabama, and see uh, what else he can provide for uh, for backfields and what else he can do. 
Yeah, there was a lot of hope for both he and KJ Costello in that offense. Costello only played, I believe, five games, only five starts. Uh, and obviously, like you said, Hill, only three games. They were the uh, ones that put the early cross in LSU's heart. They're the right. ones that kind of yep. said, whoa, 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 this isn't the same LSU defense. What's going on here? It was really that Mississippi State game that was the uh, coming out party. And we thought Mississippi State, like, oh, man, like this is a team we're going to be talking about all year long. And they uh, they kind of nosedived after that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go to the next one here. LS, or a Louisville wide receiver, Des Fitzpatrick. Uh, we talked about Tutu Atwell. We talked about him earlier this week uh, with Dane. But he's got his teammate Fitzpatrick also now going down to Mobile. Yeah, uh, you know, Tutu Atwell and Javion Hawkins are really the exciting ones right. in that offense. But Des Fitzpatrick is a good football player. It's played a lot of ball, had a really good redshirt freshman season, productive player, good size, good strength, good speed at 6'2", nearly 215 pounds, can make defenders miss after the catch. The issue I have, so many drops. You'll break your heart sometimes and make some good ones in traffic and contested catch and then drop the easy ones. So I want to see him show up in Mobile, catch the football in one-on-ones, and see uh, what else can he do in special teams. He's been a punt returner, but at 6'2", 215, a guy that doesn't have a lot of exceptional traits, he's going to have to earn his way on the NFL roster, probably through the back end and through special teams. Uh, one other receiver that got added that I'll talk about, Clemson wide receiver Cornell Powell. Uh, really, I mean, late bloomer, right? I mean, he didn't really do anything until this season, was a backup to all those talented kids that we've seen over the years, Justin Ross mm-hmm. and T. Higgins and all those guys on the outside, uh, gets his shot this year with uh, with injuries and uh, more underclassmen there. He was able to earn a shot, and he was one of the leading receivers for that team. Amari Rogers, I believe, already headed to Mobile, and he's more of a slot receiver, so seeing Powell, uh, who is an outside longer receiver can go up and get it tough kid uh really just you know persevered through uh being a backup and being a role player and now he got his shot and and was very very productive this year so uh excited to see what he can do down in mobile let's go to the trenches now robert jones middle tennessee state i know you've done his film over the last couple days yeah juco transfer to your starter at right tackle for middle tennessee state he's listed with the guards and center uh down in mobile with that senior bowl roster which i think is appropriate Uh, i think he works better in confined spaces definitely a powerful player Really good 2019 tape against, you know, opponents, Iowa, Michigan, Duke. You watch him against Chris Rumpf, the, uh, you know, exciting pass rusher. And then two really interesting battles against Western Kentucky's defensive end, D'Angelo Malone, who is a very twitched up uh, quarterback hunter. The issue with Robert Jones, he's just a little heavy legged. He's a little slow of his stance, but once he gets his hands on you, he'll finish you. He's powerful. Everything I'm saying alludes well to him sliding into guard ballooned up a little bit this year, put on 15, 20 pounds. Not sure if it served him particularly well with his athleticism and foot quickness, but if it's good weight that may serve him better at guard and being in a, a little bit more of a phone booth. Yeah, I think you could say some similar things about Alaric Jackson, uh, the left tackle from Iowa, who was also heading down uh, to Mobile. He was the left tackle while Tristan Wirfs, who obviously uh, has turned into an outstanding player so far with the Tampa Bay Bucks, uh, at right tackle. Jackson was the left tackle. He's a big cat. I mean, he's 6'6", 320 pounds. Um, you know, for teams that prioritize that size and just sheer mass up front, uh, he will, you know, cater to those guys. I don't know that if you're looking for athleticism up front that he's going to be your bag, but uh, potentially a guard at the next level as well. We've seen some guys like a Tyree Phillips uh, in Baltimore do a, make a similar kind of transition. I think that Jackson could see that similar kind of uh, projection to the NFL. Hey, occasionally, Fran, do you ever see prospects with almost too much experience? This guy's a four-year starter at left tackle 42 games started over 2700 snaps that's a lot of snaps to find some bad too and I feel like he's one of these guys that just been ripped apart the past two years because he's been on the field so much for Iowa 
So that also is a great to have experience, but it's really easy then to find flaws and to find bad games. And a scouting note for your players will have bad games. They'll have bad reps. Don't kill them for it. Look at the collective body of work. And Alaric Jackson's definitely one. The NFL is trying to figure out where on the pecking order of tackles is he worth taking. Yeah, remember, it's uh, it's what you can do, what not what you can't do uh, overall. When you're- and typically, Iowa offensive linemen, pretty safe uh, transitions to the NFL. Sure, no question. So uh, let's go over to the defensive side. Another Big Ten player, Derek Barnes from Purdue, who I found to be a really fun player to study. You know, he, he plays like his hair's on fire, three-year starter, but he has worn a lot of different hats for that defense. You know, whether he's coming off the edge, whether he's playing as a sandbacker. This year he was primarily a stacked backer playing as a, as a Mike, but then would come down and play as a defensive end in some different sub packages. So he's done a lot of different things. Six foot one, 245 pounds. So he's got a little bit of a tweener body. I kind of like him more off the edge, you know, where he can kind of use that power uh, to collapse the pocket. I'll tell you what, he does have that ability. I watched him go up against Alaric Jackson, actually, ironically, uh, and move Jackson off his spot as a bull rusher. I'm excited to kind of see how he's used down in Mobile. He's not a, a terrible athlete, but certainly a guy that you don't want playing in reverse all that often and playing in coverage. So uh, I think you're going to try and you know hide him more as a backer, whereas I want to try and see if I can develop him as a pass rusher. But uh, Barnes, a really fun player to study regardless. Uh, let's go to the next player here. And it's another front seven player who has a little bit of a hybrid skill set but more the other direction where he's more of a linebacker safety. And that's Garrett Wallow from TCU, Ben. Yeah, the former safety prospect, number three safety coming out of high school in the state of Louisiana. This guy led the Big 12 in tackles and run stuffs this year and last year, even with first-round picks Jordan Brooks and Kenneth Murray coming out of the Big 12 as far as linebacker prospects. Athletic player, not much of a pass rusher like those two guys were on third downs. A lot more zone drops and a couple of man coverage assignments being that athletic former safety. Wallow's an interesting player. He's another guy that's probably going to have to carry his hat through special teams and the back end of the roster. But the more things you can do, the more athleticism you could show, the more enthusiasm to maybe, you know, play some other roles uh, in those sub-package defenses and be a matchup player. Really interested to see how he's going to look like, uh, how he's going to look in a vacuum. And that TCU defense is a little unique, but there's a lot of NFL talent, a lot of NFL prospects. And those Gary Patterson players are normally pretty NFL ready. Another guy I feel like is a similar kind of package is Jacoby Stevens, the uh, safety linebacker from LSU. They announced him as a safety. Uh, Jim Nagy did say on Twitter, actually responding to me on Twitter about, um, you know, he's probably going to see most of his reps at linebacker. And I studied him over the summer going back to last year and, he did a lot of different things, you know, whether he lined up deep, whether he played in the slot, uh, he lined up against tight ends, detached and big nickel, plenty of, of uh, reps stacked as a linebacker down in dime, played off the edge at times and rushed the passer. So he did a lot of different things. Again, six foot two, 230 pounds. Honestly, he were, the guy I wrote down watching was Mark Barron. And Barron came into the league as a top 10 pick out of Alabama, uh, went to the Tampa Bay Bucks, and they converted him very quickly to linebacker. I kind of view Stevens in the same light and where I like him close to the line of scrimmage. I want him to be a linebacker. And I don't think it's that much of a projection because we've seen him play in those stacked roles. We've seen him key and diagnose and play through traffic and play through contact. He's good in the alley. He can run through, uh, play through blocks. He's a powerful striker as a tackler. I like him as a linebacker. And honestly, I think he's one of my favorite linebackers uh, in this draft. I was anxious, kind of waiting for him to get the Senior Bowl invite. He was announced, uh, you know, for with that Shrine Game uh, announcement uh, as part of that roster. So I was kind of waiting. All right, is he going to get this invite to Mobile? Is he going to get the invite? 
So I was happy this week uh, to see him added to the list. I, I really like Jacoby Stevens. I think he projects very well uh, to the NFL. So uh, we'll keep an eye on him. So those are all the senior bowl players. Now let's look to this weekend's matchups. And we're, we're going to look at Friday, Ben. Basically a little bit of a different spin here. We're going to take a look each with a couple of matchups with these playoff games that start on Friday. We're going to start with Alabama, Notre Dame in the Rose Bowl. We're each going to pick a couple matchups, and I'll kick things off for us. I'm going to go to the trenches. Alabama's offensive line, and I know you've loved this group uh, going back uh, throughout the course of the season. You love Deontay Brown, the left guard. You love uh, Landon Dickerson at center. He had the knee injury in the SEC title game. He will not be playing and uh, is going to miss a lot of the pre-draft process. Thankfully, it looks like the surgery went well uh, this past week. So uh, Alex Leatherwood, the left tackle, going up against these Notre Dame defensive ends. They are long. They're powerful. They're stout. Ade Ogudenji and Dalen Hayes, they're both going to the Senior Bowl. Alex Leatherwood, one of the better left tackles in the country. Excited to see this matchup here. Alabama certainly will want to establish themselves on the ground in this game. And while I don't feel, view these Notre Dame guys as outstanding pass rushers, they've got the ability to collapse the pocket. So I think this is a pretty good, good-on-good matchup here uh, with these Notre Dame uh, pass rushers against Leatherwood. Yeah, it's a great matchup here. And we'll uh, stick in the same category, but the other side of the ball. And this is going to be Notre Dame left tackle Liam Eichenberg against some of these athletic Alabama pass rushers. And I'm sure we realize the turnover in the SEC as far as quarterback hunter. All those dominant guys, Terrell Lewis, Daryl Taylor, Anthony Jennings, Kinlaw, you know, Clavion uh, Chasen, all gone off to the NFL. It's kind of a new new regime of quarterback hunters in the SEC. Do you know who led the SEC in sacks and pressures, Fran? Uh, off the top of my head, I don't believe I do, no. Well, it wasn't Ojolari or Britton Cox or any of those big names, but f- true freshman Will Anderson Jr. is number 31, outside linebacker for Alabama Crimson Tide, number one defensive end in the class. He is twitched up. He is bendy. He is flexible. And he's going to give Eichenberg all sorts of trouble. So I really want to see that matchup. And if Eichenberg can handle the, uh, the speedy young buck there uh, off the edge for Alabama. So I'm going to stay on that side of the ball for my second matchup. And I think when uh, the guy that could be the X factor in this game, like if Notre Dame's going to win, if Notre Dame's going to make a dent in this one, Kyron Williams, the running back, the true sophomore, is going to be a big reason why Alabama has got to keep him contained. And I think when you look at Dylan Moses, I know it's been an up and down year. Um, He's gotten beaten in coverage numerous times. We'll see if Kyron Williams or maybe those tight ends, uh, if Notre Dame tries to get those guys involved and see if they can create some wins in space there. But that front seven for Alabama, they have got to keep Kyron Williams locked down. He has been a big play threat throughout the course of the season. When you go back to their win over Clemson back a couple months ago, Look, he set the tone early. That opening drive touchdown, a huge play that really kind of got the ball rolling for that Irish offense. I would look at Kyron Williams as the guy that they have got to limit here early and often in this game. So uh, Dylan Moses, that whole front seven, uh, eyes on you for that one. Yeah, my last matchup, I'm not going too far from my previous matchup. Both Notre Dame guards, really good players. Tommy Kramer and uh, Aaron Banks, their left guard, is actually the first team All-American by PFF as far as a left guard. So a guy that's been getting some national praise uh, sandwiched in between some really good offensive linemen like Eichenberg and Kramer there. But they're going to have Christian Barmore. They're going to have DJ Dale, those big five-star defensive tackles, Alabama. Notre Dame's got to run the ball, like you said. And when they're at their best, they're running the ball early, and that's typically how they get their lead in ball games. That's their bread and butter, to run the football. So I want to see these big, burly guys for Notre Dame's O-line against the elites of the the college football world and Barmore and DJ Dale and those no-nonsense two-gappers up front there. 
So I think with that game, when you look at the quarterback matchup, you know, Mac Jones, Ian Book, obviously you're, you know, Mac Jones has been extremely productive and he's going to, he's in the Heisman, uh, the Heisman race there, but both guys, I don't know if we're looking at as huge high upside guys for the next level. When you go to this next game, when you go to the sugar bowl, Clemson, Ohio state, we're talking about two of the top passers in the country, two potential top five picks in this class. When you look at Trevor Lawrence for Clemson and Justin Fields for Ohio state, not breaking any news there to me, it's going to be fun to see how these defenses try to un- or try to lock down those two quarterbacks and two big name coordinators. I'm going to look here at this first matchup for me, Trevor Lawrence going up against Kerry Coombs of the Ohio State defensive coaching staff. I think when you look at Coombs, he's got a defensive back background. Uh, was there, was at Ohio State and has schooled up so many of those great corners that have come out over the years. Was with the Tennessee Titans over the last couple of years for Mike Vrabel. Now back at Ohio State this year, he was not the coordinator last year uh, when they took on Clemson and end up losing that game. But I think when you look at this defense. Defense. They're going to try and come at you in a lot of different ways. I'm excited to see what Kerry Coombs has planned for Trevor Lawrence. Maybe they give him some looks that certainly he may not have seen all season long. Uh, obviously, this Big Ten there, this Ohio State team, a little bit, I would say, you know, people aren't really expecting high things from them. Keep an eye out for this defense because uh, they've got some young players. They're going to be flying around. I would keep an eye on, on what Kerry Coombs has cooked up. And it's going to be a big test mentally for sure for Trevor Lawrence. You know, that's a good matchup there. I'm going to stick with a similar style of uh, preview here, and that's Justin Fields against the pressure schemes of Brent Venables and that Clemson defensive coordinator. Justin Fields struggles against pressure. He just does not see it. He does not anticipate it. He holds the ball long as it is, and especially the scheme kind of alludes to that with some of those long-developing concepts off play action. But when he gets pressured, he holds it even longer. He has 19 sacks this year, 12 against the Blitz. So a lot of those issues come uh, against pressure. His eyes drop. He looks to beat problems with his legs rather than his arm. And last year, I thought he tried to solve some of those problems with his arm, but was just way too late in reading it, processing it, getting that ball out. And I distinctly remember a play. They came with a little slot pressure. K.J. Hill was wide open over the middle. He sawed his route off. Fields was way too late getting to that check down, getting to that hot receiver. And the uh, defensive back nearly undercut it for a pick six. He just dropped the ball. I thought that was a great visual of the slow processing of Justin Fields and how that game could have gone a million different ways, whether Jeffrey Okuda picks up that fumble and returns for a touchdown, doesn't get overturned, or little plays like this where Ohio State was backed up, nearly a pick six that was just gift wrapped to a defensive back. So Justin Fields has to process faster and get that ball out against pressure. So that's a, and that's a great one. It's going to be a huge, I think maybe of any player going into this weekend, I think Justin Fields, I mean, he, I don't want to say he needs a big performance. He's a great, he's a really great prospect, a really intriguing player, but obviously the the narrative on him over the last couple of we, you know few weeks has not been great. So for him to be able to turn that around, even if they don't win, but if he has a good game, I think that'll kind of quell some of that noise. Yeah, and Fran, really quick, just to kind of give the picture to fans on what's so different about Justin Fields in this offense versus the previous offense of like Dwayne Haskins. And just look at the passing under two and a half seconds. So I like looking at 2019 because it's a full body of work as opposed to 2020, which is like a half a season. But in 2019, Justin Fields had 120 completions under two and a half seconds. The year before, Haskins had 229. 
much more designed RPO concepts, quick game, point and shoot, get the ball out, easy reads and concepts for the quarterback. I just don't think there are enough quick QB friendly throws for Justin Fields in that offense to get into a rhythm and just see his general down to down accuracy and ball placement. Everything is off a of run action now, multi tight ends, play action, long developing concepts. I just want to see him get into a little bit more of a rhythm, get that ball out. And I think schematically you can do some things to maybe help him a little bit more what Dwayne Haskins did that previous uh, scheme. Yeah, it's certainly uh, something to keep an eye on here uh, for this matchup. And I know the Ohio State coaching staff has also, by the way, uh, gotten hit with COVID-19. So, um, you know, I know that they've got in Clemson as well. I know Tony Elliott, apparently, uh, the offense coordinator, he will not be at this matchup. So uh, just something, another storyline to keep an eye on here for the Sugar Bowl. Another matchup that I want to keep an eye on, a guy we've already talked about in Cornell Powell, the senior receiver for Clemson, going up against this Ohio State secondary, namely a guy that I feel like the shine is kind of worn off a little bit on Sean Wade, Ben. I mean, he was a slot corner last year he moved out to the outside this year for the first time I don't think people are buzzing about him the way that maybe people expected but uh, he initially opted out and entered the 2021 draft obviously when Ohio State returned to the field he opted back in Uh, we so we've seen more of a sample size of him on the outside big test here against this Clemson receiving core not just Cornell Powell but you look at some of the other young guys there whether it's Nada or whether it's uh, Ladson I mean they've always got players they've got some other younger guys as well uh, in the pipeline that have been making plays all season long so uh, I would say you know I mentioned it for Justin Fields how this one's a big test for him I think Sean Wade this is a big litmus test for him potentially uh, his final game here as a Buckeye. Yeah, and with Jeffrey Okuda and Damon Arnett off to the NFL, Sean Wade has now held down more of a true cornerback spot this year. In previous, he was more of that nickel hybrid safety over the middle of the field. So this year, that's nickelback Marcus Williamson and also a little bit of linebacker Pete Warner. Who are they going to see quite often in the middle of the field? Probably Amari Rogers, who is number two in yards after catch in the country behind Devontae Smith, of course. And he's a guy that's so much like a Debo Samuel. So he's a guy they're going to try to get in the ball in his hands, an RPO, quick game slants, bubble screens, and he's going to break tackles like a running back. So Marcus Williamson, who didn't play in this game last year, just being a young guy, wasn't involved yet. And Pete Warner, who's that coverage, athletic, you know, uh, hybrid linebacker, you know, safety, probably going to see Amari Rogers quite a bit. So you got to be able to tackle this guy, limit the yards after catch. Yeah, certainly a, a guy to watch out for uh, in this game with Amari Rodgers, one of my favorite players. He's not a high, high-level prospect, but a guy that I think will end up being a mid-round pick and have a long NFL career. Uh, let's go now uh, to our mock draft roundup, where we're going to pick a mock draft and look at who they have the Eagles selecting, but also other picks that stand out to us. And this week, we're going to go to Pro Football Network. Dalton Miller released a two-round mock draft, and so we'll each pick a couple of uh, selections that stand out to us. Number one, real quick, uh, before I get to those selections, though, they did have the Eagles at number six overall taking Alabama corner Patrick Sertan II. And I wanted to get to that first because we will see Patrick Sertan II here on Friday afternoon against Notre Dame. Uh, you can keep out, uh, keep an eye out for them against those Notre Dame receivers. I mean, and they've got a number of guys here. Uh, the one kid who is going to the Senior Bowl this year, big kid, transfer from Northwestern. I would keep an eye on Ben Skarinek, 6'3", 220 pounds. Again, transfer from Northwestern, has made plays for this Irish offense all throughout the season. We'll see if he's matched up on Sertan or not, but uh, keep an eye out for that potential matchup as well. Patrick Sertan, one of my favorite players in this draft. Here's the blurb uh, from Dalton Miller. Uh, This young man is as solid as they come. Sertan is mature behind his years. Uh, Technically, his his physicality at the line mixes brutality and control. 
and his ability to get and remain in phase is impressive. There is little question that he will be a pro for a long time. He's not the high-end prospect guys like Jeffrey Akuda or Denzel Ward were, but Sertan going inside the top 10 in a class devoid of blue-chip talent is still a win. I also, by the way, I mentioned it was a two-year mock draft. He has the Eagles selecting North Carolina linebacker Chaz Surratt in the second round. Ben, real quick, uh, before we get to uh, our other takeaways, thoughts on Patrick Sertan in round one and then Chaz Surratt in round two. Two really good additions on the defensive side of the ball. Sertan seems like he's the top press corner in this class, a guy that can run vertically and really erase the number one wide receiver on the other side. And Chaz Surratt, athletic linebacker in a really murky kind of linebacking group. I think uh, Nick Bolton, Dylan Moses probably go ahead of him. And then it's Chaz Surratt and a couple other guys there in day two. So two really good players at linebacker and corner that the Eagles can use uh, a couple talent upgrades. No question. So let's get to uh, our big takeaways here, um, you know, from the mock draft. I'll go uh, to number 10 overall, I would say. And we talked about Justin Fields and how maybe the shine is kind of worn off on him a little bit. And I think you're seeing that uh, in mock drafts all around where Zach Wilson has kind of cemented himself, I think, in most mock drafts and most big boards as QB2 uh, coming out of BYU. That bumps Justin Fields down. Is he QB3? In this one, he's QB4 going to the Denver Broncos at 10th overall. Obviously, we have to. There's a, I, I just think it's really fun. The first thing I'm looking at at every mock draft is where do people have these quarterbacks going? How high, how many of them are going in the top ten, and who's slotting where? I like the Justin Fields to, to the Denver Broncos. Really interesting. One connection to keep in mind there, and I, and I, you know, met me, Ben. I'm always trying to connect the dots. Pat Shermer, the offensive coordinator there for the Denver Broncos, who was his quarterback coach when he was here in Philadelphia under Chip Kelly. Ryan Day, who's now the head coach uh, for Ohio State. So always keep an eye there uh, on those little tie-ins. So Justin Fields at QB4 to the Denver Broncos. Ben, uh, what was your number one takeaway here? Yeah, you're always connecting those dots. Yeah, there's a couple things I always look for on these mocks. I want to see how many running backs are squeezing in around one. In this case, only one, Najee Harris. How many interior defensive tackles? In this one, only one. Again, Alabama, Christian Barmore. But interesting looking at the pecking order of receivers. You have Jamar Chase going off the board first. Seems to be pretty consistent. But this is a rare Jalen Waddle ahead of Devontae Smith, which seems like these guys have been going back and forth all season as Waddle had a hot start to 2020. Then obviously the injury and Devontae Smith is absolutely blown up and uh, maybe on his way to a wide receiver Heisman win in a couple weeks here, or I guess a couple days at this rate. Um but not too many people have Jalen Waddle ahead of Devontae Smith at this point. Now, they are going 7-8 in the draft, so we're kind of splitting hairs based on what each of these teams need, in particular De- Detroit Lions and New York Giants, uh, respectively. But every time I pull up a mock frame, I'm looking at that front class of receivers to see the pecking order and where they have these guys going. Yeah, I think that's the other big thing to kind of look at for early on. And, you know, we talk about receivers. We talk about really it's those big two. As you mentioned, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith. You throw in Jalen Waddle, a uh, number of guys. A guy that we're starting to see being more involved in these mock drafts, Kadarius Tony at number 15 to the New England Patriots. Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on this because uh, I've, t- I've studied a little bit of Kadarius Tony. I haven't done a full deep dive, but, I mean, we know that he's an electric athlete. It's just, I mean, he has been, he has had such a small role over the course of his career up until this year. So I'm not, not necessarily a one-year wonder because we've been talking about him for years. He was always a, a really impressive flash player and a, a decoy and an offensive weapon, running back, kick returner, punt returner, receiver. This year has been really productive with Kyle Trask, but man, like 15, like, do you kind of view that, that that's how high he could go? I know we, you and I have had these discussions offline about it. 
Yeah, you know, he seems to be replacing the early love for the Rondell Moores of the world and that style of receiver. Everybody's looking for that kind of gadget hybrid player to plug into the quick game, the slot, the RPOs. Somebody can give on jet sweeps now. It's just dominating half the NFL with all the pre-snap motion. So, you know, I felt early on Rondell Moore was kind of in that role. Uh, as far as being the first round player and the first type of receiver in that. But Kadarius Tony's season, and he's really been uh, Kyle Trask's go-to guy, him and Kyle Pitts. It was unfortunate to watch uh, Kyle Trask last night not have his go-to guys and really get obliterated by that Oklahoma defense there. But, um, yeah, Kadarius Tony is one of the most electric playmakers with the ball in his hands. And even without, we've obviously seen his route running and the things he can do for an offense – He's just fitting the mold of easy offense and making quarterbacks life easier. And if that's what you want and you're trying to do with your offense in the NFL, he's a great candidate to take a lot of pressure off the quarterback position and put pressure on defenses in a variety of ways. And, you know, whether you want to call him a Percy Harvin or a Debo Samuel or a Randall Cobb or a LaVishka Chenault or whoever, he's a great, great football player and athlete with the ball in his hands. All right, so who's your uh, what's your second takeaway here? So we're going to stay at the receiver position here. As much as I'm interested in the early pecking order of receiver, who else is coming into the first round? And whether it's, you know, Tylen Wallace's or, you know, Rashad Bateman's. And uh, I love seeing the pecking order in the back end. We see Chris Olave in the back end here around one. Terrace Marshall, LSU in the back end of round one. Two uh, receivers that aren't finding their way into too many first round mock drafts as far as what I've seen. And one last pick that's also been gaining a lot of popularity, Liam Eichenberg to the Colts. And I've seen that from the get-go as my initial comp was Anthony Costanzo. So a very natural kind of transition and fit there, uh, envisioning Eichenberg to Indianapolis. You could pick one of those two receivers going to the NFL, Chris Olave, Ohio State, Terrace Marshall, LSU, who you take him? I'm going to go Chris Olave. I think he has a lot of good football ahead of him. I love his size. I think he is really explosive. I don't love his usage in that Ohio State offense. I think he's going to come to the NFL and really give some defensive backs trouble with his speed, his explosiveness, his ability to win at every layer of the defense. I have a lot more plans for him at the next level. His feet are like some of the best, I mean, without question to me in, in, in this draft. Well, Fran, the two names I've written down here, Keenan Allen and Stevie Johnson. Yeah. No as problem. far as what I think about his route running, his ability to get open, his ability to get in and out of breaks, his burst speed, diverse route tree. Uh, he's a downfield target, rarely drops the ball. Uh, and both those guys are maybe also a little undersold coming out of college and the way they've uh, transitioned to the NFL. All right, well, let's get to our last segment here, and we're going to go under the hood. As I tease at the top, we're going to look at the strong safety position. We talked about post safeties before, and we have to kind of differentiate here because we're looking now at a guy that, you know, in the past would be seen as, oh, he's the extra linebacker, he's playing down in the box, and, you know, we know what those guys were a decade and a half ago, two decades ago. That role has obviously changed in today's game. So I want to talk through some of the, the, the traits that you're looking for, and I'll let you kick things off here. What's the first trait you're looking for uh, in a player that is deemed as a quote-unquote strong safety in today's league? Well, it's really that major differentiating trait between the strong safety and the free safety position. That strong safety is normally the down safety, much more uh, used in the run fits as the box safety as a run defender. So you have to be able to fit the run. You got to be able to tackle. You got to be tough. You got to be able to take on blocks like a linebacker. The second you're incorporating into the box, you're suddenly morphed into roles of a linebacker. And there's no, you know, red flag or 
you know, a white helmet you get to put on or anything to let the offensive lineman know, hey, I'm undersized. No, you have to battle like a linebacker, get off blocks, fit your gap and understand run reads and responsibilities, just like the Mikes and the Wills of the world are. So that's the major difference uh, player profile wise and responsibility wise with free and strong safeties. Now, some teams, their safeties are a little bit more interchangeable, like Buffalo, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, either can play either role. Some teams are much more segmented. Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor, you know who is coming downhill. That was almost always Cam Chancellor. So uh, different teams play it different ways. Some prefer to have them being more of mirror images of each other. Some have much more segmented roles, but just differentiating on paper, free safety, strong safety. That strong safety has got to come down and be a good run defender. And, I, and you made a point there that I think is important for us to note before we continue with the conversation is that, you know, if you're, um, you know, if you're at home and you're evaluating safeties for uh, your NFL team or for all, th- all NFL teams or, uh, you know, whatever it may be, you have to understand that every defense is going to use their safeties a little bit differently. Some use them more interchangeably. Some use them where you've got a, a post guy and some where he's going to play primarily in the box. That box guy may have more coverage responsibilities in one scheme than he does in another. So it's important to understand what the safeties are asked to do in the scheme that you're scouting for. Uh, and then you can kind of work from there. For me, my number one trait was what you mentioned, which was, uh, and I, I just kind of label it as comfort at the line of scrimmage. So uh, whether that's the ability to key and diagnose, the ability to defeat blocks, whether that's with your feet or playing through contact, you have to be able to handle yourself in a crowd, play through traffic and be able to find the football. So uh, the comfort of the line of scrimmage, certainly number one. However, and I'll transition into my second one, I'll kind of bat it back to you. You can't, you have to be able to do that, but you cannot be a liability in the pass game. Uh, that's, that's a fact of today's NFL. So uh, whether that means you're a tight end or running back eraser, you can match up with, with those guys. Uh, and you don't even need to be an eraser, but just the ability to line up and match up uh, with those guys in man-to-man coverage playing underneath zone coverage. Hey, you're a hook player in the middle of the field and, uh, you know, in cover three, you can roll out and play in the flat and not be completely out of place. You have to be able to operate in, you know, an underneath zone coverage, man to man coverage, or look, you're going to need to play deep as well. And that's what you start to see with some safeties is maybe they lose that ability to be a too high player and play split safety or, you know, maybe sometimes you're going to have to play in the post. You still want to be able to see that guy operate and play off the hash a little bit. Uh, and I think that that's uh, an important quality is you cannot be a liability and be a starter in today's league. And typically the more coverage variety and flexibility you can provide gives your defense that much more flexibility and the calls they can make. The second you're a segmented designated skill set player, then you make your defense that much more rigid and the inability to be flexible with their calls and maybe be exotic and come up with, uh, you know, unique pressure schemes and coverage calls. But that strong safety position, you have to be able to anticipate action, friend. And whether you want to call that natural instincts, whether that's key and diagnose, whether that's film study, you have to be able to anticipate. And that safety position is such a fluid position, particularly strong safety, because you're normally inserting into the teeth of the defense more than the free safety where you're on the back end, you kind of survey everything in front. You're inserting more as the strong safety. You have to be able to anticipate and have a good feel and flow for offensive action because, you know, eye discipline and misdirection and everything that offenses are, you know, designed to do is to try to get those players out of position. So understanding and being a, a step ahead with anticipating action, being instinctive and knowing 
what offenses are going to do to attack you, I think puts you a step ahead uh, in executing your assignments. Yeah, and that's my third as well. And I, I just label it all, you know, mental processing. And to me, it just comes down to being proactive not reactive. Uh, I say that all the time in a lot of different positions when it comes to being able to see the game. You, if you are, if you, especially if you're a box player, if you're playing close to the line of scrimmage, things are happening faster. So if you're reacting to something you see as opposed to seeing it quickly and, and uh, you know, getting to the action, getting to the football, I mean, you're going to be a step behind. And in today's league, being, you know, the Kadarius Tonys and the Jalen Waddles of the world, you can't afford uh, to be behind. You cannot be afford to be a step or two behind those guys. So uh, that is my third. Did you did you have a third as well? Or did we come yeah, in? I had the coverage instincts as well. I'd be able to play man zone. I have uh, with the safety position, I think athletic fluidity is really important just because you're always on the move. You're always redirecting. You're coming forward. You're retreating depth. You're working from side to side. I think not just you can't just be a linear athlete at the safety position. I think you have to be able to change directions and be fluid with loose hips in combination with making those keys and diagnosing, you know, plays on the fly. So, uh, you know, I was just watching the other day a, a snap of Trayvon Morig and he came down as the strong safety in a coverage assignment and then got double moved. And Trayvon literally had like three or four different movement patterns. He came downhill, adjusted to the first break, retreated on the second break, found the ball, and it's just a great example that the safety position has to be this kind of, you know, wacky, waving, inflatable, arm flailing tube man, and that you're just this fluid and you have to be able to kind of have great control of your movement patterns uh, and be able to go in a lot of different directions. I love that. I love that. So uh, let's look now. Don't love that too much because I'd rather not say that again. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get to uh, who we view are the top guys in the NFL. What is it that separates the elite? from the good. And for me at that position, I mentioned the term earlier and that's why I kind of couched it because I wanted to save it for this is that if you are a true eraser in coverage, if you are a guy that can be, Hey, like George Kittle, uh, you know, Travis Kelsey, those guys are, are really tough to stop one-on-one, -on -one. but if you've got the ability to eliminate everybody else, if you, if you can match up uh, to all the other tight ends and say, Hey, when I'm lined up on this guy, the quarterback is going the other way. Uh, I, I think that is a game changer for a defense. You talked about, um, you know, what, uh, you know, if you are a rigid player in terms of, you know, I, hey, you are limited to this one role. If you have that ability to remove a player in coverage, one of these hybrid players, one of these matchup players in the middle of the field, now it's the it's the opposite effect. You now open, give it a lot of flexibility, a lot of freedom to your defensive coordinator. Yeah, that's a great one right there. I had a couple things written down here, you know, the coach on the field, you know, you'd be able to get other guys lined up, knowing other guys' assignments, having that reliable presence and voice in the huddle, typically from that safety position that rarely comes off the field, like we had all these years of Malcolm Jenkins, the film study guys, but it's hard to equate that. Some love to do it, some don't. Some retain more information, some don't. Some can communicate that information better to your teammates, some can't. Some can recall it in the fourth quarter on third down in the huddle and immediately, you know, be able to apply that and use it advantageously. But at the end of the day, the safety position, Fran, we need the impact plays. We need the interceptions, the sacks, the forced fumbles, the get the ball back, you know, the fourth down stops. If we're not making enough impact plays, particularly from our middle of the field defenders, the safeties and linebackers, 
we're looking to upgrade. We need impact plays on the defensive side of the ball, particularly in 2020 NFL, where it's really hard to stop offenses, you know, for four quarters. They're going to score their points. It's starting in the NBA, where as a defender, yeah, you're going to get beat. They are going to, you know, get to the hole on you. But collectively, can you have enough steals? Can you have enough transition points and get those fast breaks going in the key stops and key moments? Those are all impact plays from the safety and linebacker position. So I think those are the ones that really change the good, average, okay, into the great Pro Bowl players in the league. Interesting. I love it. So now the big question is, who are the players that best represent that template here in this draft? And to me, like a guy at the top of that list for me, uh, and I mentioned Jacoby Stevens, and I feel while I do view him more as a linebacker, I do feel he presents a lot of these skill sets and for some schemes might be a safety. But uh, another guy would be um, Hamza Nazardine, who we didn't see much of here in 2020. He is going to be in this draft. Um, if he's healthy, I view him as one of the best safeties in this class. I think you look at even at like a Josh Bledsoe down at Missouri. I think he checks a lot of the boxes you're looking for in today's strong safety. And then there are other guys that, you know, you look at Paris Ford from Pitt or Jaquan uh, Brisker from Penn state you know those guys i think you check some of the boxes maybe not all i think brisker um has that athletic upside to be a guy that can be an eraser in coverage it can be a matchup guy but not quite seeing things as fast as i would like to be able to see right now and i think paris ford you could say some similar kinds of things too he's really physical downhill and comfortable at line of scrimmage but you know where is his athletic ceiling i i, I think that there are a lot of guys that you're checking one box or two boxes but are you checking three and four for some of these things that we've talked about here today yeah, a bunch of good names there. There's a couple of guys I love. I think Trayvon Morig is one of the best, most complete safeties in this class. I'm more than comfortable with him playing as a strong safety, free safety, matchup safety. You mentioned Jacoby Stevens being that hybrid linebacker safety. Talanoa Hufango, when he's on the field, it's a strong safety, man. He will come downhill as the robber. He'll fit the run. He'll run the alley. He makes impact plays. And a couple other guys that I think are still a little bit unsure on where to play them. I love Aaron Robinson at UCF. I know Richie Grant is the back end thumper, but Aaron Robinson plays a lot of nickel, good coverage skills, good length. He's tough. He can run. Devon Diablo, Virginia Tech, 6'3, 225. This guy's going to be coming downhill in the box all day in the NFL. I don't see him too much on the back end at that size. And a couple guys that I think can move some positions around. How about Mark Webb at Georgia? who's more of that nickel star position, a hybrid player, he may be a good fit to be a strong safety at the next level with his you know, experience in the middle of the field. And a guy like Paulson Adebo at Stanford, primarily a corner, has struggled with some cornerback techniques and things like that. But what do we know? He is tough, tough, tough. And he might be a guy to, you know, that transition from corner, obviously projecting to free safety is a little bit easier. But to see him come up and hit guys and his physicality, you know, getting off blocks, I'd be more than comfortable with maybe playing him at some strong safety or maybe that nickel position where, you know, there is a lot of strong safety like roles, how you have to fit the run and you're a blitzer and you're in the action a little bit more. I love it. Yeah, I mean, you talk about some of those corner, uh, you know, corner transition players. Plenty of guys over the years have made that exact transition. Well, Ben, uh, this was fun. We'll be talking all about these playoff games that we previewed uh, on Monday afternoon with Dane. Make sure uh, you guys are all tuned in to when we come back right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Ben, happy new year. We'll talk to you next week. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, excited to welcome back here to the Journey to the Draft podcast, my friend Emery Hunt. You can find him on CBS Sports. You can find him on the College Draft podcast with our buddy Ross Tucker as well. Follow him on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. Emery, welcome back, my man. 
Glad to be back, man. Good to see you, man. Absolutely. You too, man. So uh, let's get into the season because last time we talked, it was early October. And obviously a lot of football has been played since then. Just kind of like taking a step back and looking at the entire season. Is there a guy for you that you kind of look at and say like, man, like this guy has helped himself more than anybody else that I've watched just for your own personal sake, who has risen the most in your eyes? Man, you know, that's a great way to phrase it because I find myself, I found myself just becoming more of a fan of Ian Book and how he's playing, man. I just like, man, this dude really just plays football like how you expect the quarterback to play it as far as just moving the ball down the field, being efficient, using his legs when he has to, uh, not afraid of pressure, and having his team on a plus side of the scoreboard more more than not. And so, you know, I think for me, for me coming into the season, I was like, okay, maybe he could be a day three guy, a guy that you could have as a, you know, maybe a QB2 or something like that. But then you start to watch him more and you see the, the progression he's made from last season to this year. And now you can envision him as, you know, maybe a guy that you could probably get to be a starter. You know, you, tr- you start to think of maybe places that he would fit. Uh, San Francisco would be great for him. You know, when you look at what he does well as far as on the move and things like that, and he could be an upgrade there out, out there with their QB2 spot and potentially a pathway to number one. Um, you look at Chicago being a place that could see a guy that they could use as him as a QB2 to progression up to uh, QB1. So for me, it's been Ian Book, man. Like if his passing was kind of erratic last year. This year he's been, become much more consistent uh, and has leveled off that streakiness. And I think that to me is why he's made the, the biggest jump out of anybody. I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but how do you kind of view him going into this matchup? Obviously a, a big test uh, going up against Nick Saban this weekend. <laughs> Well, that's the thing, man. You're going to learn a lot about his ability to stay within the offense and play calm because how Notre Dame is built is how Alabama, you know, chooses to play the game. They they want to be able to win up front, but Notre Dame is built that way to, to really play that, that game with Bama. If Notre Dame wants to win, they're going to have to go outside that, and it's going to be on end book and those receivers to win over the top, and that's going to be the biggest challenge. So when you came on the show a couple months ago, you talked about two guys that you kind of viewed as being higher on than everybody else. One of them was Michael Carter, the running back from North Carolina, and he certainly blew up uh, throughout the rest of the year. Him and Javante Williams were outstanding there for the Tar Heels. And and the other guy was Skylar Thompson, the quarterback from Kansas State. So now that we are about two months and change, two and a half months removed um, from the last time you came on, is there another guy where you're kind of look around and say like, man, like just looking at how everybody else is kind of talking about a player, I know I'm the high man on this guy. I just view this guy's uh, projection of the league a little bit more rosy than everybody else. And it's a guy that that opted out in the middle of the season, and that's Puka Williams. You know, when you watch him run, um, let's say you watched him last year. You watched, you know, a guy that was like a key cog in that Kansas offense, and you just watched him just make dudes look ridiculous. And then you saw some of that this year before things got out of hand with Kansas and he had to opt out. Uh, to go back home and, you know, be with family. Uh, But I think people forget how good of a back this dude is. I don't care that he's 170 or whatever he may end up measuring out at. When you watch him and you see a dude that has the elusiveness that we all like on Sunday when somebody makes somebody miss. Well, he does that every play. He has great vision, uh, great quickness. And when when you're watching him and and you watch him do the things that he's able to do, and when you realize that he's doing it without toes on one foot, that makes it even more ridiculous. It's like, how is this dude even able to make these cuts? And so he reminds me a lot of Naheem Hines. 
um, and, and what he does and what we're seeing out there on Sunday with the Colts. So I'm a big fan of Puka Williams. I think people, you know, everyone has, because he hasn't played a lot this year. People are moving all these other backs in front. But to me, no, don't sleep on Puka Williams and the impact he could have. Especially like you know, just last week on Christmas Day, we watched Alvin Kamara go off in terms of what he can do uh, in terms of that versatile skill set. I'm not saying Puka Williams is Alvin Kamara, but in terms of his usage and how he could be used, I love the Naheem Hines comp because Hines was a former receiver. You look at Puka and how he's used. I mean, look, his last touch as a collegian was that 92-yard kick return for a touchdown. It just speaks to his big play potential. I think he's one of the juiciest players in this draft, for no question. Yeah, you get him in your offense, man, and he can solve literally four roles for you. Your returner, a receiver, a runner. He could be a lead guy if you want to get outside zone heavy if you want to, you know, him to be a comp guy, you know, and pair him up with someone um, that's your your frontline starter. Let's say he goes out to Oakland and you pair him up with Josh Jacobs. That's something that you could see uh, a team do. So to me, that has tremendous value at the next level. So Puka Williams, obviously from the Big 12, from Power 5 Conference, I want to ask you uh, about guys outside the Power 5 because I would contend that nobody knows these players up and down as well as you do when you look at Group of Five, FCS, and, and keep on going down. So I want to ask you, for the guys that are going to the Senior Bowl, who is the guy outside of the Power 5 that, that you're most excited about and people need to know about going on to the NFL? Brian Mills of mm. North Carolina Central. You know, I did the broadcast. Uh, this was either last, I think it was last year with Morgan State. Morgan State, you know, with the three picks. Yeah, yep. Exactly. And I was like, man, this dude, in, in, in that game, he's covering Menashe Bailey, who yep. was out there with the Eagles uh, during training camp. Sure. And he was a legit stud at, at Morgan State. And Mills had him, had him, you know, in the clamps and did a great job just seeing the ball. And when you look at how long he is, athletically and you know he's able to match up really well plays zone really well uh and he does one thing that i love he finds the football um and, and takes it away so when you look at a guy that has all of those traits coming from that conference that has gotten significantly better since i've been doing games the last three to four four year five years um you're seeing the the test that he has to you know answer Every week, you know, you talk about a guy that was going up against Jaquez Ezzard at one time at Howard, uh, Kyle Anthony at Howard, and now Menashe Bailey when he was there, sell the Selby twins at, at Delaware State. So, you know, watching him play and having already the physical makeup to be a, a you know top tier corner, I'm interested to see how he's going to go down there and, and compete and match up because he has tremendous skills. Um, he has ball skills and he has the ability to play both, you know, man and zone. The guy that I wrote down after watching him, um, you know, it might not mean, mean a lot to every listener out there, but Kevin Tolliver, when he was at LSU, and yep. the reason I, he didn't go on to like do great things in the NFL, but he was a five star recruit, like number one player, number one corner in the country. So it just kind of speaks to what this kid could be. I agree. I'm excited to see him. It, it will be a year removed from him playing because um, he didn't play this year, obviously, but uh, I'm excited to see him down in Mobile for sure. Um, ne next question for you going to the underclassmen ranks because Mills uh, being a senior. Is there a guy that has officially declared for this draft that maybe we're not talking about mainstream right now, but in a couple of months uh, where everybody is going to be talking, there'll be a lot of buzz around this guy. I hate to keep going back to the same position, but I, I can't help myself. But that's Josh Johnson of UL Monroe. He reminds me a lot of Kareem Hunt. You know, he's 5'9", 215, um, great contact balance, as, as people like to say in the scouting world or the evaluation world. But um, – He's one that that runs really well, in my opinion. Has good all around game, 
he's a solid receiver. And and I'm t- when I say receiver, I'm already talking about uh, not your standard meets expectations job as a running back, which is your swings, screens, flares, and flats. I'm talking about pass the line of scrimmage. That's a guy that you could trust past the line of scrimmage. Um, he has really good vision uh, and and a good burst. He may not be the guy that could hit the 65-yard. He's not going to be Miles Sanders and hit that that 90-plus-yard touchdown run, but he's going to get you that 50 to you know, 60 yard burst, which is fine. Cause if you're have a great, if you have a great burst, you're going to score many touchdowns. And, you know, I thought last year was his best season because they were a better team this year. They had all sorts of chaos with coaching, uh, leaving mid season, opting out mid season, the coach. Um, then you had players opting out. It was just a cascade of, of errors out there in, in Monroe, Louisiana, but him personally is a really good back. And when you look at someone that has all of the the good all around skills that he possesses, people gonna people gonna start to talk about him more once they dive more to his tape. The tape I would always say go watch go watch him against Florida State last year, uh, and watch him you know how he was able to compete and, and battle through. And he's always there when they need the play to be made in the run game, you know. And so that to me tells you a lot about his his sense of timing and his his overall skill set. So I'm a big Josh Johnson fan. I just can't believe that you, as a as a raging Cajun, picked a ULM guy. But but I will. Yeah, my uh, jaw just broke my jaw saying all that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so you, we talked a little bit about it earlier, but uh, the college football playoff here this week, obviously Friday night, uh, Friday afternoon, really k- games kicking off. Is there an under the radar matchup uh, that you're excited about? Whether it's Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, Notre Dame, uh, any matchup in those two contests that you're really kind of excited to get your teeth into? Yeah, I'm gonna give you two just because I, you know, I, I, I'm like that, right? A lot Why of guys not? talk about it anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly, right? I, I look at the matchup in the, the the Alabama game in Notre Dame. Those tight ends of Notre Dame, all 78 of them against those Bama linebackers. To me, that's the matchup that at Notre Dame is going to try to exploit. You know, they got dudes that can win with positioning, both in the run game and also in the passing game, and how they work those guys in into uh, their offense. That's going to be a, a battle that Alabama has to win if they can't you know, handle those tight ends, they probably will struggle against Notre Dame because one, the run game with Kyra Williams, who's a stud, is going to, you know, have success. But also in the passing game, it keeps drives uh, alive. And on the other side, the other game, I'm interested to see those tackles for, from Clemson, those offensive tackles against the defensive ends from Ohio State. Usually when we're talking about Ohio State in the playoffs and defense, we're talking about A. Bosa or Chase Young. And right now we're talking more about their interior then we are those guys on the edges. And I feel like Ohio State needs somebody off that edge to show up consistently and make themselves known in this ballgame. If they can't win on the edge and Clemson is able to get the corner or able to keep you know uh, good pressure from getting to Trevor Lawrence, then Ohio State's defense is going to be the reason why they lose that game to Clemson. So you know the, the DNs for Ohio State will have to show up and make themselves known against those tackles from Clemson. Who do you like? You like uh, you like Clemson, Alabama for a rematch here? Yeah, and and I think um, that Clemson game will be a lot closer than people think. You know, if Olave runs the right route, the ball hits him in the face mask, and we're talking about Ohio State versus Alabama, right? Or Ohio State versus LSU last year. Yep. Um, so they they having a book on this opponent already. I think will yield a, a tighter game, and we'll see the best of Ohio State. This is the game they wanted all season, so I'm not going to put too much stock into. Uh, Northwestern or Indiana or anybody else they let hang around. Uh, this is what they wanted. This is why they opted back in. 
uh, to get to this point. So we'll see a much better effort from Ohio State. Uh, excited to watch it. Excited to talk with you about it down the road. Emery, dude, thanks so much once again for joining us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Happy New Year, my man. We'll talk to you soon. Appreciate you, man. Happy New Year. See you in the fam. Now it's time for Pick 6. Well, back once again to go head-to-head here on Pick 6, my friend Ross Tucker. Ross, uh, I picked up a game on you this past week. That means I have now extended my lead to four. We've got two weeks left here. We've got this week previewing uh, some of the biggest uh, bowl games here over the next few days, including the co- the initial round of the college football playoff. We'll do a special one next week. That's going to be six different uh, l- little uh, contests there on the national title game. This is it. So you've got 12 uh, picks here to try and make up a four-game lead, and we'll see if, uh, if you're able to do it. Well, hold on a second, Fran. If that's the case, okay, then some of these I could have gone either way. I was on the fence. You got to say who you're picking first right, now. Deal. I, I got to right. have a chance to come from behind here. Good deal. So Good you, deal. you say your pick first because if I was on the fence with one of them, I'm going the other way. All right, good deal. So uh, we'll do that over the next couple of weeks. So basically, um, last week, you took Buffalo. I took Marshall. So you got the win there. I picked up two on you, though, uh, in that Liberty-Coastal Carolina game. I took the over on Malik Willis touchdowns uh, against Coastal. He ended up with four. And then I took the under on Taron Jackson sacks against Liberty. And that was uh, – he did put up a goose egg in that one. So I picked up a, a game on you there. Let's go to the first one. We're going to go to the Fiesta Bowl. Straight pick them. Iowa State – versus Oregon, I'm going to go with Iowa State here. And with both teams, I think you kind of look at that and say, man, like this is a kind of a weird matchup for the Fiesta Bowl. Oregon was on a bit of a losing streak going into the, uh, you know, into the postseason. They end up getting, uh, you know, as a, put in as a replacement team for the Pac-12 title game, upset USC, get the berth into the into the Fiesta Bowl. I like Iowa State, though, man. I, I've picked them a lot this year. I really feel like, you know, you look at Brees Hall, certainly Brock Purdy has been a little bit up and down, but uh, I really like what Matt Campbell has put together down there. They've got some tight ends uh, that people need to know about. They've got some guys on defense as well. Uh, I will take the Cyclones here in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, then I'm going to go Oregon. I was le- I was leaning Iowa State, but I could go either way. Oregon has uh, a lot of speed. Yeah. And I was very impressed by how they looked in the Pac-12 championship game. My question is one of motivation. I have more yep. faith, certainly, in Matt Campbell than I do in Mario Cristobal. But I got to make it up, man. I got to make it up somehow. I'm going with Oregon to keep the momentum of the Pac-12 championship game. All right, well, let's get to another one here. And this one is going to be the Orange Bowl, North Carolina against Texas A&M. These games are always difficult because Texas A&M, just on the outside looking in for the college football playoff, they finish with the fifth overall seed and end up uh, obviously outside of those top two games. Now they take on a North Carolina team that they're missing a bunch of guys, man. I mean, both those backs opted out. Chaz Surratt opted out. They still have Sam Howell. They don't have De'Ami Brown, one of their deep threats, but they still have Daz Newsome. They've got a bunch of guys on the offensive side of the football. Matt Brown is going to keep those guys motivated. They wanted to be in this game in the Orange Bowl. That being said, I think I'm still going to go with the Aggies. A lot of those guys are still playing. Um, you know, you look at that offensive line, what they've been able to do this year. I like their ability to run the football against North Carolina. Uh, I will go with the Texas A&M Aggies here and Jimbo Fisher. Yeah, I, I can't do it with North Carolina. Not with all the guys that have opted out. I'm taking Texas A&M. They're more talented. I think they're more motivated. Uh, I like the Aggies as well. That, that's not one where I can I can take the opposite. 
And this is one I feel like could be a uh, like a, a coming out party for Isaiah Spiller, the sophomore running back for AM. That you know we've we've seen him this year. We know the kind of player he can be. But now on a national stage in the Orange Bowl, if he goes off against North Carolina, he gets all kind of momentum going into next year when he's draft eligible. Uh, keep an eye out for the running back Isaiah Spiller. Uh, all right, let's go now to the Peach Bowl, Cincinnati and Georgia, and we're going to go with an over under here. Over under two and a half touchdown passes for Cincinnati quarterback Desmond Ritter against the Bulldogs and a secondary that uh, is extremely talented. A couple of guys have opted out, but one of their best players, Tyson Campbell, still playing, and it's Georgia. They're they're going to recycle guys uh, right into that secondary, so you know that they've got talent there. Still, that being said, I'm going to take the over here on touchdown passes for Desmond Ritter. Um, you know, he's been a little bit up and down in terms from the production. If you just look at the production this year in terms of touchdown passes, you know, sometimes he's got one touchdown, sometimes he's got three. He's kind of towing that line. Uh, I'm going to take the over here. I like Cincinnati's offense uh, to be able to put up some points here in this one. I will take the under. I think he throws for a couple. I think he runs hmm. for one or two down near the red zone. That might be a little bit of a hint for my upset special in a little bit, but I'm going to take the under here. I think, I mean, I think it's probably two or three. So I think you set the number right here, Fran, but I'll take the under to go opposite you. I do think Georgia's defense is pretty good. I think he's going to have to use his legs down near the red area to score a touchdown or two under for two and a half for Ritter. Have you done Cincinnati this year at all? No, uh, unfortunately, I have not. I did watch their game against Army, though, gotcha. and he did not play very well. He's playing mm -hmm. a lot better now, but Army held them to their lowest points, yards, like everything in that match. I don't think people realize like, Army's pretty good, man. They're 9-2, and two, and sure. they lost to Cincinnati 24-10, but it was a competitive game. Anyway. Yeah, no, it's uh, that's certainly a good team out there, uh, up there at West Point. Let's go to our fourth one here. We're going to go to the Rose Bowl. We're going to go Alabama. And, uh, and Notre Dame, what do you like here? Devontae Smith, yards per catch, or Alabama's margin of victory, which is the higher number? We can pick either or. Devontae Smith's yards per catch or Alabama's margin for victory. I went back and forth here on this one, Ross. I think that Alabama is going to win by a good amount of points, and I think when you look at Devontae Smith, he certainly uh, can put up big numbers in this game. I still like Alabama's margin of victory to be even higher. And that's why I'm actually going to go uh, the, with the tide rolling here. I will take Alabama's margin. Yeah. you're. By the way, you're very good at these, Fran. Oh, Fran. You. You're very good at setting these because, you know, most of them are not like, it's not easy for me. I kind of go back and forth. I think the Irish are going to actually do a decent job of, of keeping this game a little bit closer than people think. So I'll go Devontae Smith. I, I think the Irish lose by 10 to 14. Mm. I think Devontae Smith's yards per catch in this game is 15 to 18. So I'll go Devontae Smith yard per catch. I think we're, we're all rooting for that because that would make that a, a much tighter game than I think a lot of people are projecting. Uh, let's go to the next one here. We're going to go with that other playoff game, Sugar Bowl, Clemson, Ohio State. Same kind of question here. Total points by Travis Etienne, the star running back for the Tigers, or Clemson's margin of victory. And just to clarify for people, total uh, total points for Etienne, if he scores a touchdown, that is six points uh, total. For, so we're going to go total points here by Travis Etienne or Clemson's margin of victory. 
I'm going to go with the player here on this one. I'm going to go with ETN uh, having a couple touchdowns. That's at least 12 points. Uh, I'll take uh, I'll, I'll take ETN here on this one. Yeah, you know, I, I thought of that. Um, I think this is another one where I feel like Clemson wins by about 10, yep. and I feel like ETN can score one or two touchdowns. So I will go with Clemson's margin of victory. I'll say they win by 14, and ETN doesn't get – you know, even if he gets two touchdowns, that's still Clemson margin of victory, and I have to go opposite you, Fran, because I'm trying to win. No question. So uh, of those first five games, we went opposite on four. So you've got the ability to tie this up here. Uh, if you go – if you if you nailed this one uh, here this week, now we've got one more, and that's our upset special. We didn't do it last week. We're coming back to it this week. Only a handful of games that we felt uh, really qualified as potential upset specials. I'm going to go back uh, to the Peach Bowl, and I'm going to take Cincinnati over Georgia. Um, I mentioned Georgia's going to have a bunch of the, – they had a bunch of guys opt out. You know, they had two starting offensive linemen, uh, one of their leading tacklers, and Monty Rice, the linebacker, four starters in the secondary out of five. I I, I got to go here uh, with Cincinnati. You know, this is a team that uh, – a group of five going up against Power Five, those teams usually find ways to be really competitive, if not completely uh, blow out the opposition – We'll see if Georgia can avoid that, but I'll take the Bearcats here. Yeah, I, I got to go that too. That's what I had written down. I'm a big fan of Cincinnati. I think their defense is awesome. I think they're going to win the game. Mm. And, I, you know, some of these other options, I don't see Ohio State winning. I don't see Notre Dame winning. I'm going with Cincinnati. Look, I could be contrarian there, but then if you're right and I'm wrong, then you pick up a game on me. So I'm going Cincinnati. I agree with you. I think they're going to win the game. So I'll, I'll take the Bearcats over the Bulldogs. All right, well, we'll see if uh, if you can make up any more ground on me here, Ross. This will be a, a big one. And then next week, uh, the granddaddy of them all as we get ready for the national title game. Thanks so much once again for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA. Hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode here of the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA. A lot of fun catching up with Ben, with Emery, and of course with Ross Tucker. We'll be back early next week to break down what we see here in the college football playoff. It'll be a fun discussion. Make sure you stay tuned right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA. Happy New Year, everybody.